everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ten Thousand Roads to Financial Independence. Today, I have Fletcher Wheaton. Fletcher is an international real estate investor and educator. He's based in Cabo San Lucas, but has helped people find properties all over Mexico. He is also the host of Real Estate Without Borders podcast, and he himself personally invested in multiple single-family homes abroad.、Um, welcome on the show today, Fletcher. Hello, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me on. Looking forward to our conversation today. That's awesome. So, Fletcher,、um, we always ask our guests the first question, which is,、um, who, when you're thinking back, your childhoods or upbringing,、um, who do you think、um, kind of shaped the entrepreneur who you are today? Well, for me, that one's going to be pretty easy. It's going to be my father. You know.、Um, My grandfather did his own thing. My father did his own thing, and they were both very successful. And、uh, my father's an attorney, and he basically let me know from a young age that、uh, if I wanted to become an attorney, I would not be working for him.、Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like the opposite of, of nepotism, right? And he basically、yeah. was was letting me know that I had to do my own thing. I had to go my own course, and. You know, he used the example of his father. His father kind of told him the same thing. He said, "You're going to end up being a lot more happy if you find a path that you want to go on."、Um, so I'm not really going to extend you the invitation of of working with me, even though I've become very successful. And so from that, knowing that off the bat, whereas a lot of like my friends, and there's nothing wrong with that, ended up working for family businesses and whatnot. My father really encouraged me to figure out what I wanted to do. And you know, pursue that, and really, at the end of the day, become my own boss, like like he has been, and like my grandfather was. So, without a doubt, it, it's my father. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome.、Um, that is a lot of good learnings from there for myself,、uh, with two small children.、Um, so, Fletcher, tell us a little bit about you know what's the transition? How did you kind of transition? Did like you probably like everybody else graduated from college, got into a full time job, so. Where did it lead it to, Cabo's? Yeah, well,、um, you know, so I actually I worked I graduated、uh, school and then I actually I worked oil and gas and that's because I have family in oil and gas. It's completely separate from from what they're doing, but that's how I got into the industry and I had the ability to work time on time off. So I was I was it was really cool. I was working like a month on a month off and I was able to travel the world. Um, I really chose to go to Latin America. I was really drawn to Latin America. I, I'm fluent in Spanish.、Um, you know,、I've, I studied abroad in Argentina. I lived in Colombia. I obviously I now live in Mexico. I had lived in Mexico before, and I've also lived in Panama.、Um, but it was basically it was 2015. My father called me like a week before, and he's like, "Hey, I'm going down to Cabo San Lucas." And、uh, I bought some real estate there. You know, it's all pre-construction. But would you like to come down on a scouting trip? And I'm sitting there like, hey, why would I not accept this invitation? Go scout some real estate. Go to the beach, hang out. You know, come back. Well,、yeah. uh, I thought that was what's going to happen. Well, as soon as we get down to Cabo, the realtor calls us to show us the tour of the community where my father had bought his house. Meanwhile, it's, it's Pre-construction, so it wasn't built yet. We're going to see the model house and all that,、mm-hmm. and that's when I met Alisa, and Alisa is now my wife. So、um, just it was really、know. just kind of like a 
a really chance accident that we met like that. And yeah. she's been in real estate here for 11 years now. So um, that's, that's really how I got involved in real estate here in Cabo. But yeah. my love for Latin America, Spanish, and, and real estate had a lot to do with that as well. Yeah, just to disclaim that Elisa is not me, it's Fletcher's to Elisa. Um, <laughs> yeah. Elisa Herrera. Right, yeah. So um, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, you know, it's it's very interesting to find that love at the first sight and just making that connection. Um, but I'm sure there's probably some turmoils, um, you know, making it work and et cetera. So how did you, um, so you, did you just quit your job like right away and then just kind of move down there? Like how did that whole process work? No, uh, you know, I think, you know, you're starting to see a lot of people talk about this too. Um, you know, entrepreneurship is, is great, but it's, it's glorified to the extent that it just like, Hey, the light bulb clicks and it happens, you know, with me, I had the advantage that I, I had time on time off. So I had the ability to focus like 100% basically for like six months out of the year in the beginning. And I also had the support of my wife that was here in real estate and all, all of her connections here as well. But it took a while, you know, it took four, four years basically of kind of like building up and figuring out and slowly replacing that W2 income that I had. Could I probably have done that a little bit earlier? I think so. Um, but I was a little bit more cautious. I didn't want to uh, step away from something so secure. But I think a lot of people think you'll just step out of, uh, you know, what you're doing and all of a sudden, like, success just comes to you. It's it's a grind, at least for me, it, it certainly has been. Mm -hmm. And then so, but it's in Mexico. And uh, so you... <laughs> You met love of your life in Mexico and uh, your job is still at the time at U.S., right? So were you able to kind of work remotely to kind of ease it off from there or um, kind of or did you have to travel during these four years like kind of on and off uh, kind of meeting your wife over there as well? Uh, meanwhile, opening up another business on the side. Yeah, no, it, for me, it was definitely back and forth. You know, um, I think probably 20% of what my, my work was in the oil and gas industry could have been done remotely, but there was definitely a huge proponent of that that had to be done, you know, live in person. So uh, it was definitely back and forth. Like I said, the only good thing about that was from the entrepreneurial aspect was that I did have like a month down there at a time, you know, and um, whereas in my younger days, I was usually like exploring and, um, you know, opening up my horizons that was dedicated to making sure I could get down here and, and have that income and be here full time. Got it. Got it. Um, and then what is your kind of first investment? How did you go about the replacing, replacing your income, kind of replacing, making that comfortable enough to make the leap? Because you definitely did the, I didn't just quit cold turkey. You kind of build it up a, a additional income stream uh, before you kind of uh, replace the went down there, you know, completely. Yeah. So um, once again, it, you know, a lot of this goes back to my upbringing and my, my parents, I was always, you know, taught, you know, when I was younger, like if I made, you know, money washing vehicles or whatever, I would put money in the stock market. My dad would double it and my grandfather would triple it, you know? So I had, I had been investing in real estate with family money in the beginning um, ever since I got out of school. 
you know, duplexes and triplexes, you know, renting out to young professionals or student housing type. Um, so we had this. Um, I'm also invested in um, hotel syndication in New Orleans as well. So I had this income. We also have our own LLC here, which right now is five properties. And we've also, we just recently closed on a plot of land and we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do with it. Once again, this is not necessarily, um, a lot of people ask me about like commercial properties here and it's not as big as you would find in the States, but there still is a lot of, you know, rental properties and whatnot. So it's, it wasn't once again overnight, but it was slowly, I did have that kind of base where maybe 50% of what I needed was already there through rental income or equity that I had built up in, in investing since, you know, and this is over like a 15, 15 year period, you know? So once again, it, it wasn't overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely long-term accumulation there. Um, so you mentioned about the LLC. I think for our listeners who are not familiar, how to do real estate in Mexico. Um, can you kind of give us a little bit rundown on this? Uh, why the LLC? What are some of the rules that people should know? Because last month, last year when I was down there for a whole month, we're like, oh, I guess we can buy a condo down here and then just maybe rent it out, Airbnb. I'm sure a lot of listeners had the same thoughts when they go to Bonamas and somewhere else. Um, so Tell us a little bit more about behind the scenes. What what are the stuff um, a beginning investor should kind of really look into when they thinking seriously about investing overseas in Mexico specifically? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. Um, the LLC uh, that we set up, it's called an SRL here. And um, the whole process has made me appreciate how much easier it is to set up an LLC in the United States. Um, you know, uh, that goes through a lot of things, the ease, the cost, um, the ability to get financing, things like that. Uh, if you're going to accumulate a lot of properties like we are, which if I'm being honest, Elisa is like maybe 5% of the people that I'm dealing with, um, then you would go our route. Yeah. But I could say without, you know, fail, most people that are going to be getting like, if you just wanted a, and a lot of people do this, you know, I have people reaching out to me and they're like, Hey, we live in Los Angeles. I'm looking at an investment property here. It's $600,000 for like a one bedroom condo. The HOA fees are $500 a month. I, I can't even make it work, you know, yeah. and they come down here and they can get something for, a, you know, a third, half of that price, get almost similar income from, um, you know, the great thing about these beach markets in Mexico is the fact that, you know, most of the people buying down here above a certain range are going to be Americans or Canadians. So you're going to use the, the U.S. dollar, not the Mexican peso. Yeah. Um, but uh, for most people coming down here, it's it's pretty simple. You'd set it up in a, uh, in a fideicomiso, which is just a trust. Um, and that's only like the beach markets. But uh and then you can do whatever you want. You can do short term, you can do long term. But as far as the LLC, I will say like uh, the accounting and stuff on it too, is just, it's very stringent. Um, so I'd say most people that are coming down here, they're not even going to worry about that, that route because, and then on top of that too, Elisa, there's a lot of people that, um, you know, will come down here and they think like, oh, they see other people that aren't necessarily doing things by the book. Yeah. And they'll be like, oh, well, if this guy is not, you know, setting up 
this, then I'm going to do that. Well, I mean, the, the company we have was set up with my father as well. He's an attorney. There's no way we were going to cut corners and things like that. And obviously I would not recommend anybody look at that, but if you were coming down here and you were going to buy multiple properties, yeah, the LLC is a great route to go. If not, there's another structure that, that you would go and it's super easy, you know, but you could once, once again, once you get to that point, it, that could be short-term, that could be long-term there. There's a whole slew of things. And then you have the, the whole appreciation factor as well here. It's just, um, it's, it's a really, it's a growing market in Cabo. There's actually more land right now than there is development. Mm-hmm. So it's just, uh, it's growing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so the LLC route, now let me ask a little bit more technical details. I'm very curious on this. Um, so with the LLC route is the skill, but basically if you were going to own two or more properties, then it makes sense to do the LLC. What, what's kind of like the tipping point over there? That's another good question. Um, and the good thing is, is I have access. I do, I, I help an attorney here market to uh, Americans. And so I have access to free legal advice, essentially. Nice. Um, uh, so the first thing I would do, would, you know, I'd be like, hey, you should probably talk to Eduardo to see really what your long-term plans are on something like this. But I would say, Elisa, if you are going to have three or more properties, I think the LLC makes a lot of sense. And here's another thing too, liability laws here are not anywhere near like, you know, I joke that the new American dream is suing your way into money. You know, it's not, um, you can't really, it's not like people, you know, for example, if you're renting a, an apartment in the States and there's a fire and somebody dies, you know, there's a big liability issue here. Right. That's not really, as Eduardo would say, Mexican people are much more responsible for their own actions. So a lot of, you know, people would say like, hey, if you're setting up rental properties in the United States, would you set an LLC up for every property, every two properties, every three properties, or would you throw 20 properties in a one LLC? I think you can get a lot of different answers from people on that. But I would say if you're looking at three or more properties, I would say it makes sense to start looking for that, uh, to set up that LLC. Got it. Got it. Um, and then the benefit of it is you mentioned about the of uh, transaction, um, but I believe there's still the land trust that you mentioned. Does the LLC still have to kind of goes through the land trust and et cetera um, to potentially own. Yeah. No, 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 not at all. So if you go to the LLC, you don't have to like set up the, the PD company. Uh-huh. So, which is like the, the usual structure that like 95% of people would, would set up here. And another thing too is, you know, when you're, when you're doing business anywhere, but essentially, you know, especially in a foreign country, um, you're going to want to work with people that you, you trust a lot of, Americans that come down here that would set up that SRL, that LLC, would be led to believe that they have to have a Mexican partner involved, you know, yeah. and that way that guy can or that girl could get uh, access to equity in the company. That is 100% not true. You yeah. do have to have two partners, though, a minimum of two partners, and they can be any, you know, nationality. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, for example, you and your wife can be partners in the LLC, and that will satisfy the requirement. Uh, I'm sure Elisa is a Mexican, but like, it should should she not be? That should be also be okay. Exactly. Yes, you could set up. It could be two Mexicans. It could be two Americans. It could be a Mexican and an American. You know, it could be more than than two partners as well. But absolutely. Got it. And then, in terms of the loan, I think a. Leveraging 
is something you know our investor also talked about. Um, and uh, what is that like when you're buying property in Mexico? Okay, so this is pro- this is definitely one of the the biggest drawbacks to doing business in Mexico right now is that, Alisa, let's say you are a Mexican and let's say you were affluent. Um, you've got a solid credit history. You're 50 years old. You've got everything paid off. You go to the bank for a property. You're probably going to be looking at like a nine percent interest rate. And as a matter of fact, Mexico actually just raised their interest rates a quarter of a percent. Now, what's the flip side of that? I think, you know, if you look at what's going on, I mean, I was just looking like Austin, Texas, had like 35 percent year over year increase in property values, that's just, that's, I'll put it like, it's not sustainable. So I think a lot of what you're doing right now with these low interest rates in the United States, you're, it's risk on. You have to put that, that money somewhere. You're not going to put it in bonds. You're not going to, you know what I mean? So uh, there's a lot of speculation. I don't think it's really, and I think we're going to see where that leads, you know, in maybe four or five years. And I don't necessarily think it's going to be good. What I will say from the fact that it is not been, you know, it's it's obviously detrimental that you cannot have, you know, low interest rates, you know, for the fact that you're an investor. What I will say is that the prices have remained much more affordable than they than they look in the United States, and that's one of the main reasons. So, right now, you do have uh, lending abilities, um, but like I said, you're going to start at like seven percent if you're an expat right here, mm-hmm. probably closer to nine percent. Um, and if you do that, you're still going to need to be putting down like 50%. So most definitely a lot of Americans are like, they're already put off on that. The flip side is that the entry point is going to be a lot cheaper. And, um, I think that's a huge benefit from the appreciation standpoint. And then one of the the things that I really like about Latin America is, okay, so I could go on about this for, for a while, but, uh, high population growth, you know, um, I think you're starting to see that level off a little bit in the States. I think people are having less children. Uh, that is not true in Latin America. I will also like the median age, the median age in Japan is 47 years old. It's a very old country. The median age in the United States is 37 years old. The median age in Mexico is 27 years old. So you have this, what Sam Zell in my opinion, the most successful commercial real estate investor of all time, why he likes Latin America, why he calls Europe Disney World, is you have all these pensioners, an older population, mm-hmm. um, where in Latin America, you have this built-in demand mm-hmm. from younger populations having lots of children. And then I just think you have a lower cost of living. You're starting to see a lot of manufacturing coming to Mexico. Now, Cabo is kind of almost the antithesis of that. It's a lot more of a kind of resort vacation destination, yeah. but... Um, when you factor in all this stuff, uh, I think you have a lot of tailwinds in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So when you're investing with um, personal investment that you have um, or stuff that you suggest to investors, are you kind of looking at more the equity side or also the cash flow? And what do you do with them for what do you do with them for cash flow? Yeah, so, I mean, the the properties that we own are. We've stuck, like I said, so here's the thing about Cabo is that in 1992, they had the agrarian reform. So you had a lot of this land. It'd be like if half the land in San Diego was just owned by the government and all of a sudden they opened it up. Yeah. So you have all this like land, whereas like, hey, obviously that was already built up, you know, 
So you have all this land that opened up in the 90s. So Cabo had this boom. Cabo would refer to Cancun as a mature market. And Cancun's only 50 years old. Yeah. You know, um, but uh, so I would say the appreciation, a lot of the how, you know, like I can give you a couple examples here. Uh, we bought two condos 2016 for $160,000, three bedroom condos. And those are netting. I would say the, the rentals on those right now are $1,700 a month in rent for long-term rental. Mm-hmm. And they're probably worth $250,000 right now. Um, so, and look, you could say that's all these uh, that's happening in the States. You're having obviously the increase in, in prices and whatnot, but you're getting cash flow in the U.S. dollar. I think you you have stronger chances of appreciation in these markets. Um, so I think it's a little bit of both. But like I said, you are taking away that leverage factor. Um, those properties, those two condos that I've talked about, they were developer financing. So it was pre-construction. Mm-hmm. You know, they literally, when we bought them, there was just, you know, they were laying out the foundations for these uh, these buildings. So um, that's that's a route we really like. And you have this like, hey, why would you buy something that's not built out? You're you're basically you should have appreciation upon delivery. If you're not going to see that, then you would probably buy something that's existing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's interesting because you touched upon buying pre. Uh, development projects, you know, for some other properties over here in Seattle and etc., you just don't get that. But in a country like Mexico, you even see some in China, um, pre-delivering purchase is definitely a thing because you kind of buy it in, bought into appreciation. Now there is a little bit of a risk coming along with it. So what would you say the due diligence that you would do buying something that pre-construction? Yeah, this is uh, it's another great question. I have like uh, got videos on this explaining, um, but it all comes down to the developer. You know, did they have a track record? You know, are they? You know, I joke. Uh, there's a lot of. I mean, I there's. I wouldn't call them horror stories, but there's people who are like the joke is, hey, we're getting it delivered December, and it's like, well, which year are they? You know, which December are they going to be delivering that? <laughs> so you go with proven developers that have track records. The easiest way to figure out if a developer outside of seeing their product from previous, you know, projects is to see if they offer financing, because that means that the bank is vouching for them. They have a track record um, that a financial institution is backing, you know, so if the developer does not offer any financing and developer financing here is usually five to 10 years, 50% down right now, anywhere five to 7%. Um, but if they don't offer that, then, you know, for me, that's a red flag. Yeah. Uh, you look at, you know, a whole slew of things about this developer track record, you know, their, their communities that they've already built out where they're from. Is this their first project in Cabo or they come? Cause right now Cabo is a hot market. So you have a lot of these developers coming over from like Tulum, Riviera Maya, uh, Vallarta, Guadalajara and, and starting projects here. You know, so uh, the quickest way to do that is to see if they offer financing. But um, without a doubt, there's, you know, there's some developers here that uh, people are waiting, you know, three years past the date. And it's like, that's a painful place to be in because there's, there's usually not that much recourse, especially when you put 50, you know, or generally you're going to put 50% down when you get delivery. 
Um, but uh, once again, I've, I've just dealt with too many, you know, uh, enough people to say like, hey, that's why you talk to somebody like me or my wife who knows, it's literally very quick in a nutshell, know thy developer. But there's definitely another layer of risk. But like you said here, it's, it's not like you're going into, uh, I don't know, LA and they're just building all this, you know, here they have to, it's like they're keeping up with the demand because it's such an, um, it's such a, it's not as mature as a lot of the markets in the United States. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so let's kind of switch gear a little bit about your business and about your podcast. How, how, what leads you to the site to start your podcast? Good question. Um, you know, I gotta, uh, I've always loved to travel. I've always loved to live internationally. I've just been fascinated with, uh, you know, world culture, but in particular, Latin American culture. Um, and I have a friend here, he's an Irish guy and he's got relationships with so many people and he actually works for international living. That's one of the, 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 the places where he gets, um, his clients from, and he just knows all these people. And I was, um, I, I joke that I, I, I want to be like him and he, you know, he's very supportive of, of that. But, uh, the reason that he's doing so well is his relationships that he has. And I've already seen, so people might think, Oh, Hey, the podcast is for the people that are listening. And it most certainly is. But, um, Alisa, I, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have met you if I hadn't started that podcast, you know, so I, it's really opened up so many doors and um, it's really to grow the network, you know, because I, I originally thought like, Hey, why would I start a podcast when so many other people have a podcast? You know, why would somebody listen to me? And I was like, Hey, well, I do have this international twist to it. It's not just another podcast, but on furthermore, I started thinking about it and this wasn't me. This was people telling me, Hey, you're going to meet a ton of people. So yeah. the whole networking aspect, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, I mean, the network will increase, you know, and that's been a huge thing. And on top of it, if you're, you know, going to do a podcast and, you know, you got to think long-term and, you know, will I be doing this podcast in three years? That's what I would ask you. If you're not going to be doing a podcast in two to three years, I might think about, Hey, but if you're going to do that in, let's say, three years, fast forward, and you've got 100 episodes, 150 episodes, all yeah. the relationships you've gotten, and you're going to get better um, public speaking, you're going to meet so many people. So it's been so beneficial. It literally, it took me a year just to launch it, mm -hmm. um, just because I was scared of that I wasn't going to keep it up. But it's been so beneficial. I'm really happy that uh, I launched the podcast. That's awesome. And then the, the podcast name is Real Estate Without Borders. Real Estate yeah, Without yeah, Borders. Without Borders. Exactly. Uh, guys, we should probably check it out. And then we'll put that in our show notes as well. Um, and uh, um, so from the podcast, so how do you actually build a business, you know, in Mexico? Like you're going back and forth and kind of like really talked about like, how do you actually build a business? How do you find Beijing? Um, you know, like people always like, oh, we're going to start a podcast and get Legion, but we know podcast is really a great time to spend quality hour with other people, um, selfishly. Um, but, um, you know, where does the Legion comes in? Like if someone wants to kind of start doing a uh, real estate brokerage in the foreign country, what the best advice you would have for them? 
Yeah, I would. I mean, honestly, I would say you'd have to like really know people. Um, it's not like I just came down here on a whim and, and did that. But um, I think for me, it really clicked when, when uh, I started going to, and that's the great thing about having stuff opening up now is I went to a conference on international real estate in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away. It was like, you know, 400 people and um, they were all older than me because um, they were all looking to invest. So it's kind of um, it's kind of like the uh, baby boomers that are looking for another option, either for retirement or they wanted to get money out of the stock market or things like that. And that's where it really clicked. Um, and then so I, I knew there was a market there. You know, before that, I was kind of skeptical. I was like, this is this seems like I'm swimming against the current way too much. And then past that, it's like, if you're passionate about something, you know, you know, it's the podcast. I do YouTube too. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn and stuff. And a lot of, you know, it's starting to become more common where I'll get, uh, especially older people that are looking to invest, you know, they'll reach out to me and do this. And after like the second or third conversation, I'll be like, man, what you're doing is so cool. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's like, they're really genuinely curious and interested and I think the only way to get to that point where people are really doing that is A, you enjoy what you love, but B, you're like consistent and you, you made a commitment to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And what does look like for you in five or 10 years? What is uh, some long-term goals? Um, you know, being where you are, living a life in Cabo's and uh, being with your dream girl and uh, have a successful business. So what is a, what is a five years or 10 years go for you? Good question. Um, so I'm very confident that just staying in the market that I'm in, in, in Cabo would be great because there's just so many tailwinds, but if I wanted to push the envelope on this one, I'd say, I'd love to be the, the guy that people go to when they're looking for international real estate, whether that's they need a connection to somebody, you know, um, and that's really part of the, the podcast too, was saying, hey, if somebody comes to me, and that's what I've realized, you know, a lot of people end up in, in Cabo because there's a guy that I golf with here and he was looking at buying and living in Panama and then his mom got sick and he basically was like, well, Panama is kind of far. Flying Cabo is almost like an extension of the United States. It's so easy to get here. Um, so uh, that's when I realized, too, it's like, hey, I'm not necessarily just going after people that are interested in Cabo, but people that are interested in the international lifestyle as well. So um I think, you know, in five or 10 years, I'd love to be, you know, not just in Cabo. I, I love Cabo. So I will be based here. Like that is, yeah. that's a no brainer. We've got a lot going on here and I'm, I'm happy here, you know? So, um, but uh, I, maybe in five or 10 years, I'd love to have that, you know, kind of scoped out to, and I'm not saying worldwide, but for uh, example, I have somebody right now that's uh, they're in Australia and they are, affiliated with a big website in China. And he's basically telling me that a lot of uh, Chinese investors historically have invested in Australia, the United States, 
in the United Kingdom or in, um, in London, areas like that. And he's like, they really have no exposure to Latin America. And would you be able to help me introduce me to some developers? And we got to talking and, you know, we're right in the middle of, of connecting with developers in Mexico City, um, Colombia. So, you know, this is just kind of like the tip of the iceberg for me. I think um, I'd love to be like the go-to guy for Latin America in five or 10 years. Sorry, sorry if that was a long answer. No, that's good. That's a fantastic. You got to have the, the goal to, to know where you're going for. Um, absolutely. And Fletcher, do you have children or do you have young children in your life? Yes, I got uh, Parker, little Parker Cito, man. He is, uh, he is two and a half. Oh, cute. Um, obviously, he's too early, uh, too too young to ask this question, Bob, but we usually like to ask our guests to kind of wrap up the show is being a father, um, what do you think or what have you been doing? He's too young, uh, probably, to help them instill uh, the thoughts on being financial independent, being financial literacy. Like, what are you doing to educate them on that? Another good question, and it's definitely, even though it's not to the point where I'm really showing them the financials yet, I think a big thing is, is um, again, this goes back to my father, and my father had the ability to, you know, to provide anything that I really wanted, you know, within a certain um, realm, right? But at the end of the day, he really did keep it, you know, we went to the best schools, there was nothing, um, you know, all the expenses didn't matter there, but past that, it was like, you know, making sure that you don't spoil um, your, your kid and making sure that they understand the value of a dollar, regardless of how much money you have. Um, I think that just goes a, a very long way. And that's what I saw uh, with my father is that while he was very successful, he definitely lived below his means and now, right now, he's got the ability to really do whatever he wants because he saved and invested and uh, he didn't spend on the fancy cars. He might have them now, but when we were growing up, we were, he was, my parents were very modest in that regard. So I would say uh, living below your means and showing your child that and not, you know, making sure that they have a good work ethic and they're doing chores in order to get, uh, you know, the things that they want. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that kind of wraps up our show over here. And Fletcher, how does people find you? What's the best way to get connected with you? Yeah, so you can uh, find me on LinkedIn, Fletcher Wheaton, or you can check out my website. That's uh, cabokey.com, C-A-B-O-K-E-Y.com. Um, and you can drop me a message there. So, Or you can, I, my YouTube channel is growing, so you can check me out on YouTube as well. But those are three ways to get in touch. That's awesome. And then let's not forget the, his podcast as well. Give it a, to a listen. Uh, and then we'll put all that resources down below over here. Thank you so much for your time, Fletcher, today. It was a very pleasure to visit you. Thank you, Lisa. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again.